Oh yeah, and we're back at the Sports Experience Podcast with me, Chris Quinn, and my good friend, Dom DeTola. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about the versatile Charlie Ward. Yeah, a little bit of college football, a little bit of pro basketball. This is a nice little mix of everything. I always knew him as a New York Nick, and I, yeah. every time you'd watch him, they'd be like, and he was a college quarterback, <laughs> and you'd just be like, no, yeah, I get it, I get it. But yeah, that's how I always... Knew him on those famous Nick teams. Yeah, not not only was he a famous basketball player, I mean, he started probably about a third of his career as a point guard for the Knicks. Um, he is the first and only Heisman Trophy winning player to play in the NBA. Yeah, which I found pretty, pretty awesome because obviously when you're a Heisman Trophy winner, you're pretty much like destined to be a first round pick. But as we see with Charlie... Kind of went different for him. Kind of, so. kind of went different because uh, he had a lot of options due to his uh, athletic prowess. My favorite part was when he played for the Knicks. The Jets and the Giants were so bad, and people would troll him and say he's the best quarterback in New York City, and he does not play professional football. I absolutely loved that because, like, if you were a Jets and a Giants fan, you'd probably be like, "Hey, God, damn it, he's right." We're so bad right now. You're just going to the garden and watching Knicks games going, this blows. Yeah. <laughs> Quit throwing those spiral passes. God damn, man. Yeah, oh, Charlie man. Ward was a very interesting, interesting uh, athlete. That's what I have to have to put him in because he was even drafted into, because this is what I love about baseball. Yeah. And baseball's later rounds, they're just like, oh, you're a top you're athlete. athlete. Yeah. We'll draft you. And <laughs> they did because he was that great of an overall athlete. Oh, totally. No, I mean, uh, played in high school, born uh, October 12th, 1970 in Thomasville, Georgia. Actually a city that's produced, oddly enough, a lot of professional athletes. Yeah. But um, he went to uh, Thomas County Central High School, um, baseball star, basketball star, uh, football star. And that's kind of where he made his mark as far as going to the next level and in college. Well, I, I wanted to bring this up because just if anybody doesn't know, college football is probably the uh, the sport that I least know about. Um, was FSU a, a big college at that point? Because I don't think they were. Well, yes, a powerhouse in uh, nineteen by the late eighties because they had already started accumulating a lot of talent. Okay, they were kind of built when Bobby Bowden left West Virginia for them, kind of in the late seventies. He had started accumulating a lot of talent because they went through some really crappy periods. Even though uh, Burt Reynolds played for them, there you go, way back in the day. That that's the, the only bandit. thing. That's the only thing I knew about them pre them actually becoming like a one of the Florida powerhouses. Yeah, so they they had finally got like a lot of good players, but their entire kryptonite this entire time, and it was Bobby Bowden's kryptonite until we'll later discuss this was the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, and this is when it was the you to the max, like old school, just swag. And Florida State kind of built themselves along the same lines as Miami. And Charlie Ward is another one of those pieces like a Deion Sanders or an Edgar Bennett or an Amp Lee or a um, uh, Terrell Buckley. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, they're really starting to accumulate this talent. They just kind of need that quarterback to really push them over the edge and when he goes to FSU, there are a glut of decent 
to good quarterbacks. Yeah, I saw he didn't play his first two years. Well, yeah, his freshman year, actually, in 89, he was punting for them. Yeah. And I found that fascinating, and I've seen clips of him punting, and he's pretty good at it. I know. That's what an athlete he is, is literally you could probably put him at any position. I mean, size withstanding, everybody knows size and and power kind of outweighs that. But any position that you could play, he could play, you know what I mean? Like wide receiver, cornerback, but I, I bet he could just really play all over. Yeah, you because know? he um, had two years of where he just punted and then he redshirted and then he had another year as a backup because at this time, Florida State has like a mix of dudes. It's three guys, um, one of which actually won a Super Bowl in the future, although he wasn't even the main starter. So they had Casey Weldon, um, uh, Peter Tom Willis, and their backup was Brad Johnson, who oh, okay. most famously of the uh, Vikings and Buccaneers. Yeah. So Charlie kind of gets to sit behind those guys, and uh, we'll get into his basketball career after we're done with his football career. Yeah. But he gets to kind of just you know learn the offense, get acclimated, but also do his thing on the basketball court. Yeah, because I saw that. Um unlike football he he started four years for fsu maybe not his freshman year but he he yeah. definitely was point guard i think for three of the four years so yeah and his first two years that he played basketball he was starting and playing in okay. all the games yeah. because he had the luxury of those other quarterbacks being there and playing yeah. to where he can like focus completely on basketball and just be their backup yes exactly yeah. but um by 1992 this was there this is his first year as a starter and um, he struggles a little bit, although Florida State keeps winning because they're just the most dominant team in the ACC. Yeah, I, I mean, saw that. He had a, a pretty good year, but you see that it wasn't perfect, if you will. And I don't mean perfect, but you see in 93, he had an unbelievable year. Oh, totally. But I think in 92, he had like 2,500 passing yards. And you know what I mean? Like he, he definitely was you could see a great quarterback. Yeah, uh, 22 touchdowns, uh, 17 picks, which is kind of why people were kind of waffling on him, going like, man, can he take care of the football? But yep. you can just see this immense like talent. And just once it's like refined and honed, it's going to just explode all over college football. Yeah, once the uh, the edges are, are shaped down, you know, the mistakes are taken away, he's going to really dominate. And they were averaging 37.2 points a game that year, which was second in the nation. Yeah. And there was a very important game that year, kind of, you know, in the first quarter of the season against Georgia Tech, um, who was maybe two years removed from sharing a national championship. Uh, Bobby Bowden and the offensive staff um, decided, hey – let's do something called the fast break offense. And this is kind of what leads to him being such a great point guard and distributor. Okay. Is that lining up in shotgun, they have a lot of great running backs at this time. I mean, they are just absolutely loaded in the backfield, but they're going shotgun. I mean, they could have had a dominant running game, but you can see with Charlie, he is just the ultimate distributor of that football, and it's scaring the hell out of teams who oh, yeah. like have never seen this before. Oh, that's really interesting that they, they went so hard into the passing game, but it makes sense. And you look at some of these old FSU games from this 93 season, and he was really, really dominating. And he could make plays with his legs. I mean, that first yeah. season he had over 500 rushing yards and uh, six touchdowns rushing, but uh, just a great receiving core. Guys like Tamaric Vanover, Kez McCorvey, uh, Matt Fryer, uh, running backs, William Barnon Floyd, Zach Crockett, uh, Tiger McMillan. I mean, they really had a great team and they won 11 games unfortunately there was the game they lost and this was the game against Miami yep a year removed from the wide left game 
they bring in a special kicker and he goes wide right. Yep. And it's the only blemish on their record because at the end of the year, Charlie leads them into the Orange Bowl and they beat Nebraska. And this is what we talked about in the Nebraska episode. Another Florida team just is their kryptonite in these big games, but they won 27 to 14 and uh, were ranked in the top 10. And stop that absolutely dominant Nebraska team from that Orange Bowl victory. We, we bring it up. Mm-hmm. They were just so good in that era that beating them, I bet, going into that next year, they were like, oh, shit, we're ready to Yeah, ready we're ready to, to rock this. and roll. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, after the season, Charlie's kind of like the Heisman Trophy favorite. I mean, everyone's looking at him like, all right, this is your year, buddy. And he definitely impressed. He really impressed the following season because they go uh, 12 and 1. 12 and 1. Who was their only loss against? Well, I want to talk about this later because I I remember watching this game. I figured uh, that's why I brought it up. It was the last, in my opinion, important game that that program had won. And everything after that has been just an absolute underachieving dumpster fire. But uh, like the year before, they finished first in the nation again in scoring, but it's 41.2 points per game. Yeah. And then their defense, which was also really dominant. I mean, Hall of Famer Derek Brooks, Devin Bush. I mean, you are just stacked at all three levels on defense. They allowed less than 10 points per game. That's and, pretty ridiculous. The 30-point the margin of a victory is because you have to realize that they're playing some bad teams, but they're also playing a ton of really good teams in their division. Miami, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's really interesting. The the way this FSU, because like I was asking, like, was this when they started to be a dominant program? And you could see it really was. Yeah, no, th- this was the year they finally break through. Like, yeah. everything had been leading to 93 for this entire program and for Bobby Bowden because, and we'll talk about in that bowl game where they end up playing Nebraska – is that Bobby Os- Bobby Bowden and Tom Osborne had neither had won a national championship. Yep. So it's like, well, someone's going to break through. Exactly. But uh, their defense, like I said before, in their first nine games, they had four shutouts. I mean, they were just destroying people. And I think the key to this, and it really is Charlie just piloting everything as the distributor, he improved his completion percentage from 56% in 92 to almost 70% in 1993. Jeez. And at that time, even though you're kind of running that fast break offense, which is a lot of what you see with the spread now, your um, completion percentage numbers are inflated, he's still throwing NFL routes and doing it accurately. Like You can see that improvement where, as opposed to having 12 games under his belt, to now like 20 plus as a starter and it seems like the volume of passes have gone up so if the volume of passes are going up and his completion rate is going up it's just all it's all gravy for fsu this year yeah and honestly through those first nine games they're just kicking the crap out of everybody acc non-conference and miami yeah so i mean they enter november 13th 1993 ranked number one and they go to South Bend to play Notre Dame, which at that time was also undefeated, who was ranked number two. Yes. And a lot of people consider this game the game of the century for both programs. And in one of it's a high scoring affair. I mean, offense back and forth, um, just a big play game with big time athletes um, at the college level. And to their credit, um, Notre Dame breaks up a pass at the goal line to win the game at the very end. But Ward leads them on just a furious comeback. And Notre Dame really, if they had kept extending that game, Florida State likely would have 
comeback and won. Yeah, I watched the end of that. They definitely had all the momentum, but the that stop at the goal line, it's just it's one of those classic plays where you're it, you know, it wins a game. And Charlie played well enough to where, and so did the entire team, or they really didn't fall in the rankings very far. I think yeah. they went down to number two or number three. Or I number mean, three, yeah. they really, like, it wasn't like they went to South Bend and just, you know, laid down for them. It was just not their day. Yeah. And a team who was just as good beat them. Yeah, exactly. But luckily for Charlie, yeah. <laughs> luckily for him and the Knowles, the following week, Notre Dame absolutely shits the bed against Tom Coughlin's Boston College team and loses on a last-second field goal, which allows Florida State to jump back to number two or stay at number two because Notre Dame falls to three because Nebraska is ranked number one. So they get to draw Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. It's almost like we've brought up this little sequence before. I love it. Everything like spiderwebs out. But they go into this game against Nebraska, and it's a defensive struggle. Oh, for sure. It is a... Slobber knocker, if you want to call it. I love that. So yeah. please call it that. All right, slobber knocker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, both defenses are really taking it to each other. And Florida State, to their credit, at the very end, thanks to a uh, pass interference penalty, drives the ball all the way down. They're down and they kick a field goal to go up 18 to 16. Yeah. And Nebraska almost gets into field goal range on that final drive, and they do, and they don't make the kick. Yeah. But at that point, Knowles are national champions, and Charlie Ward already won the Heisman Trophy that year, by the way, for all of his incredible play on the field. Um, they're yeah, they one. award they award the trophy before the bowl games, which we've brought up before, which yes. is bullshit. They, I, I sometimes just, they're, they're, sometimes they hand them out before the regu- regular season finales, Ty Detmer. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. But that's what we see with Charlie Ward. You know, he is this great offensive general. And that's why going into what we're going to talk about him choosing the NBA, which is why it's so surprising. It is, because he swept all the 93 college football awards. I'm just going to read them off yeah. here. Heisman Trophy, the Maxwell Award, Walter Camp, the Johnny Unitas, the Davey O'Brien, the Sullivan Award. I mean, ACC Offensive Player of the Year that year. ACC Player of the Year in 92 and 93. Yes. You know, two-time All-American. I mean, this is a guy, when you look at this track record, and then just his tape, too, you're thinking this guy's a shoo-in in the NFL. Top 10 pick, and if he goes beyond that, people are going to be like, wait, what? But that wasn't the case. No, that, that, that wasn't the case. I thought it was interesting, uh, something that I saw, that he won the Heisman with like the fourth highest margin. So like, yeah. the, And you list the other guys, it was like O.J. Simpson. It was like these guys that you're just like, oh, yeah. So like he was like with all these records, with all these um, titles that he won, whatever you, individual yeah. accomplishments, um, you could just like – if you just looked at these things, you would be like, oh, this guy's number one pick. How, how's he even, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Or at least he will be drafted by someone. <laughs> there you go. And um, I just mean like number one quarterback. Pick, oh, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And um, well, I'll get into it right now. Yeah. Um, kind of the reason why he's not drafted is because of his basketball career and uh, played for the Knowles, redshirted his first year for basketball, but yep. played 90 to 94. Um, was on some really talented teams with NBA guys like Bob Searle was there, Doug Edwards, Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell, I thought that was interesting. I forgot about that. And I was like, man, that was a good backcourt. Yeah, and um, he is their point guard, obviously, and uh, does pretty well. I mean, you know, 
full-time starter first two years, eight point uh, eight points per game, three point four assists, two point four steals. Next year, seven point two points per game, four assists, two point seven steals. So I mean, he's not necessarily a scorer, but just like he is on the football field, he's piloting everything. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yes, he, he's what you want from not a scoring point guard. So he's great defensively, which I love this uh, statistic. He holds FSU's uh, steals record. Yeah, so I, it's amazing. Yeah, he's really a great point guard for what you want, not you know a, a scorer, but everything else. And sometimes you'll see that though. You'll look up like stats like that. I know at San Diego State, um, Tony Gwynn is still their assist leader. Yeah, which is like. Oh, you don't even play that sport anymore. Exactly. (laughs) And you see these multi-sport athletes, that's how great they are. You know, Heisman Trophy winner and steals leader. I think he also holds the most steals in a game for nine. And and you think, and what makes it incredible is while he played full-time those first two years, he was relegated to playing basically only the back half of the Knowles schedule his final two years. Yeah, because the football, they overlap. Yeah, they, they totally overlap because, and both seasons that he was starting at quarterback, they're in New Year's Day bowl games. Yep. So he's not done until January 2nd. I think they said he got 16 games in his senior season. Yeah. Which and, is pretty awesome to come in right off of a football season and then go right into a basketball season. And his junior year, um, you know, this first year where he started playing quarterback, yep. 7.8 points per game 5.5 assists and then 2.8 steals and that team went all the way to the elite eight yeah like they made postseason trips all three first years that was their deepest run but his senior year he really gets to showcase for everyone what he can do in that back half of the schedule because he's over uh 10.5 points per game 4.9 assists and 2.8 steals well they didn't make the tournament and kind of underachieved you could see that this guy has NBA ability. I was going to say, it felt like the pieces around him had already left. Can't, Sam Cassell, that kind of shit. Yeah. So like, it was really him out there by himself. And But he showed everybody, like, hey, I'm, a, I'm, an, NBA, I'm an NBA point guard. Like what I think he was pretty much saying, like, I'm an NFL quarterback. Yeah. And people were like, maybe. Maybe not, but hey, you're also an NBA point guard. And he was playing semi-pro. And he has talked about this after the basketball season, kind of leading into the NBA draft, where he was like, look, I'm going to these and I'm going to these combines. If I can play at that level and do very well, man, I, I, I might have a shot at this. Yeah. And his mindset and the mindset of his agent were, you know what? I actually have options, so I'm going to explore them. The problem is, is the NFL doesn't like people with options. They like to lock you in and not square pegging around hole you. You know what I mean? That is very accurate. And I found it interesting. I brought it up to you pre-podcast what you thought of his chances of being an NFL quarterback because he was slightly undersized. This wasn't a running quarterback league, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a running quarterback league, but he wasn't necessarily a running quarterback. He just had the ability to use his legs to get out of trouble. Okay. Like he was never a default like runner. like we see today like we see today like he's not like a cam newton this is a drop back passer somebody who can operate in a spread offense and really distribute the ball and make smart choices with it so what what was the what was 
the thing that NFL teams were so hesitant on, I and, guess is what I'm... And also, he was not... He was skinny. He was not small. He was about 6'2", yeah. 190. Not necessarily a big guy, but he had the height to play in the NFL. Okay. Probably could have used an extra maybe 20 pounds at least. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was small. The way the NFL offenses ran, though, at that time, you know, even though you have like a West Coast offense and things based on timing... It wasn't, they weren't spreading the field like you see. Maybe teams like Atlanta at that time who were still running the run and shoot with June Jones. Yeah, okay, you can see that happening there. But NFL teams were so stuck in the past, they really didn't know what to do with him. So it was more of a scheme. It was a lot of, it was a lot of scheme stuff because okay. they had never seen someone like this before. And honestly, I think he could have done it and done it the NFL's way if there was a team who was willing to take a chance and have the time and patience on him, like draft him in the middle rounds, stash him on the bench for maybe two years, yes. and then like behind a veteran quarterback who's smart, and I know we'll talk about that, Yep. but just like develop him. It's not like he's a finished product coming out of college, but yes. you have this interesting athlete and even his agent said, like, look, probably not going to go first round, but probably third to fifth round is what we're thinking. And when they had said, we're going to explore their options, a lot of NFL teams took it as, if he's not picked in the first round or the first quarterback off the board, we're not going to take him. Yeah, he's, I, not, or, or, he's not worth it. He's concentrated on other things. And it's like, man, he's sitting on a golden ticket. Why not? He's two golden tickets. Let's yeah. see what happens. I saw that people were – he kind of came out and said that people were putting those words in his mouth like if I don't go first round I don't go at all and he's like I never said anything like no. that I'm just putting myself out there for both drafts and like you said the NFL hated that and his honesty is honestly what killed him yeah because he was like no I'm going to explore basketball because I can play in this league yeah like and I don't know why they were so crappy towards him maybe it's just because he was a quarterback and possibly because he was a black quarterback whoa whoa it's not 2020 anymore <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah that I, I wonder if the racism in this quarterback scheme because in this era black guys were looked at as receivers running backs yeah like that's so it's not like he was treated you know like gold like a bo jackson or a Deion sanders yes. who were like i want to explore my options i want to see what's out there i mean bo jackson you know, baseball was his first sport. Yeah. He didn't join the Raiders until like midseason every single year he played for them based on that. And do you think Al Davis gave a shit? No. Yeah. He's just like, Bo's here. Everything's good. All right. His his is probably the most interesting draft story with the Buccaneers just totally sandbagging his college career. But that's a whole nother. Yeah, that's totally. Whole, but it's But we see he didn't have the blowback that Charlie Ward had. Yeah, Charlie Ward had an intense amount of blowback from the NFL. And when you look at the quarterbacks that were taken at the top of that draft, Heath Shuler and Trent Dilfer, yep. despite the fact Dilfer won a Super Bowl, but that was all the defense that year. Let's get that straight. But uh, yeah, so Charlie was just like, no, I'm going to explore my options. He goes undrafted, but there's a team that really wanted to do what I had explained before is take him you know in the middle rounds or towards the end or even as an undrafted free agent yeah sign him put him behind a veteran quarterback and that was kansas city and kids kansas city had joe montana and they were like lamar hunt who was the owner at that time was absolutely in love with charlie ward he thought this is a dynamic player we just need to get him in here we're not going to spend a lot of draft capital on him but 
if he's willing to play for us, this is the heir apparent to Joe freaking Montana here. Yeah, well, they even approached him. I thought it was interesting. They even approached him while he was still, while he was a pro basketball player and just to gauge whether or not he wanted to be Joe Montana's backup, which I feel like that is probably one of the only offers where you're like, hold on, maybe. Maybe. Because I bet you could see the path of becoming a starting quarterback. And really, if if he had gone there and was Montana's backup for a year, that would have been just a fascinating NFL career. But oh, for we'll, sure. we'll never know what it is. No, we know. Because don't. at the end of June, the NBA draft occurs. Yep. And towards the end of the first round with the 26th pick, the New York Knicks take Charlie Ward to Which, play basketball. It was a great pick. And in the NBA, I think it's even still now, if you are drafted in the first round – you are on a guaranteed contract yes. for your rookie deal, and you are making a lot more money than you would be as a mid-round NFL player or even an undrafted free agent. Yeah, we, we explored this before. It's weird. I feel like we're bringing up old podcasts. I know. But the NFL union is so bad that it's not even that the NBA players union is super great, but they have it established to where if you're like a first rounder, you're going to make serious money, which is the way it yeah. should be. Because and that's where the stars come out of. Exactly. And the, sad, the saddest part, though, is we'll, we'll never know. It's, it, we'll never know. Like, I remember I got a set of old NFL draft cards for the 94 class. Okay. Included in that card set is a Charlie Ward card. And a basketball uniform? No. Well, it should have been. But no, it, it goes into, on the back of the card, 1993 Heisman Trophy winner, Charlie Ward, undrafted. Like, they went out and still made a football card for Charlie Ward. As they should have. Yeah, as they totally should have. But like you said in the beginning of the episode, for many years, he was considered the best quarterback in New York while he played for the Knicks. Yeah, I think well, that's... he played for the Knicks. Yeah. Oh, God. That had to be just so painful, like, sitting at the garden and watching the Knicks be good and being like, why are our football teams awful? <laughs> why Why does Dave Brown and uh, Boomer Esiason suck so hard, you know? But that's New York football. Oh, well, it's know? totally in New the, York football. Especially in the 90s. Well, so. yeah, it, it was probably just as bad as it is today with the Giants. And that's Jets, what I was but, just yeah. going to bring up. They're the two, uh, the two great football franchises of New York. But to uh, Charlie's credit, though, and I always maintain this when guys are making choices between like football and baseball or football and basketball, uh, he made over $30 million in his NBA career. So, I mean, doesn't have any health issues like a lot of football players either, you know, take care of, has taken care of his body. And, uh, you know, he was a, you know, from the jump, he was a good role player for the Knicks and eventual starter. Yeah. Um, he didn't end up playing his first season. Uh, Pat Riley was the coach and Pat, like a great coach, like they probably would have done in football, benched him. Yeah. Let him figure out what the system was. And then in his second season, he pretty much became their point guard for almost a decade. Yeah. And even when he wasn't the point guard, he's the first guy off the bench. Yes. You know, he's a valuable role player in the NBA and you can just stack that money, you know, and just, live a dream that a lot of people can't do well like we see this is when money gets injected in the nba literally 94 is when money's like hey these are real contracts and you're just like oh shit hell yeah so yeah totally no and then um uh you want to go into uh some of his uh that heat series yeah i was gonna say the knicks in this uh in this era are almost renowned for losing playoff late playoff games. So they almost never make it to the finals, and they almost always lose to Chicago. Or Miami. Or Miami. And the, the funny thing about that is, or uh, even Indiana, they yeah. – um, Yeah, oh, boy, Reggie that was That was a great rivalry that 
you don't it like comes out of nowhere and it's funny because pat riley you know he was the head coach for uh, showtime with the lakers yep. all those knicks teams this was in the 90s in the nba where you could play defense and they're legal you couldn't play zone and it was all man to man and yep. you had ewing and oakley in that front court just beating the ever love and anthony mason just beating the ever loving piss out of people well that's why jordan's scoring is so ridiculous because yeah. the scoring in the nba was so much less at that point where he was scoring like 50% of his team's baskets. Yeah. And because, the, you, like and you Doing said, it against the Knicks where he's getting hand-checked and shoved say, and shit. Yeah. Oakley, who came from Chicago, was probably one of the hardest power forwards to oh, play yeah. against. And you could see those old school. When you took it to the rim, they weren't just going to let you take it to the rim. No, you had to earn that. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, but Riley leaves, but Jeff Van Gundy just keeps that, you know, hack and train rolling for yep. him. And uh, they're in the, I believe, 97 Eastern Conference semis against the Heat, and they're up 3-1 to one in the series. Yeah, they look like they're about to t close out the series, Close out really. the series and see the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't happen, and Charlie Ward is kind of a reason it doesn't happen, and it's not necessarily his fault. Well, I want to bring this up for the NBA rules at that time. So if there was a fight on the court and the bench is cleared, the guys on the benches would get suspended. Yeah. During this game, the pretty much the starters of New York were on the bench, and pretty much the starters of Miami were on the court. Yeah. So there was a free throw. Charlie Ward, I think it was a free throw. Uh, Charlie Ward goes to box out P.J. Brown. Who's like a very large individual. And he gets angry. Yes, P.J. Brown is not happy. Pretty much just picks him up and body slams him. Into the camera people. <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous, and you can see why the bench is clear. And I mean, it, it sets off a melee, and Jeff Van Gundy is trying to drag or grab Alonzo Mourning's leg. Yep. And, like, um, and he drags him. And he drags But Alonzo Mourning's just like... Get the hell off me. Come well, on. It's it's if you ever want to go back and watch that, it's it's sad and funny. And it's sad because literally like Starks, Ewing, um, I think Alonzo Mourning. Charlie Ward was even suspended. Charlie Ward, and he didn't he was just he didn't even do shit. And the thing was they all got suspended until a lot of them got suspended until game six, and then I think a couple of them got suspended until game seven, so they were out the whole series. Yeah. And we see that Miami Heat go on to win the next three in a row. Three yeah. in a row. It's it's really shitty, but if you're thinking like PJ Brown and you're a Miami Heat fan, you're like, guy's a genius. Yeah, I know, right? That guy is so smart. <laughs> yeah, because he, he pretty much, I mean, that's what switched that series around. And that was, in this Knicks team, that was the Knicks team that people thought could go on and beat the Bulls. Yeah, that was because, you know, the Bulls dynasty is kind of fading a little bit at this point. Yep. And uh, unfortunately for New York, they can't pull through. But... Two years later, they do get revenge on the Heat because in their first round playoff series, they're an eight seed and Miami's a one. And a one. And the Knicks not only win that series, Charlie Ward as their starting point guard, they roll all the way to the NBA Finals. Yeah. And uh, obviously they lose to San Antonio, but Charlie Ward was a starting point guard on an NBA Finals team. Yeah. And he probably was a better quarterback than basketball player. Which is, if you look at his college career... You almost have to say that that's true. So he could have been one of the greater quarterbacks of this late 90s. And yeah, and he could have, honestly, and when playing for the Knicks, he played for him for 10 years. And he put up similar stats to what he did in college. Yeah. And, you know, 6.3 career points per game, 4.0 assists, and I believe 1.7 uh, steals. Well, I just feel like he was that 
floor general that you could bring in yeah. and, and be secure with. Every, yeah, everybody, you know what you're getting out of him. You know he's going to make the smart choices. You know he's going to you know run the floor for everyone and distribute. It's so, it's interesting, but it's so sad. Yeah. Because, you know, plays for the Knicks for 10 years, kind of has some stints in Houston and San Antonio, quick ones, but, you know, injuries, had, you know, affected him. Nothing like CTE, but, I mean, you know, you could tell yeah. guy in his mid-30s, it's time to go. It's time to retire. And, uh, you know, kudos to him for making the best out of a situation that, you know, it's still a dream for most people, but having one dream crushed and then do, living another one, yeah. that, is, that is very impressive to me. I got to bring up his uh, eastbound and down moment. Oh, he had a, he had a very interesting uh, eastbound and down moment. Was that when he played for the Knicks? It was indeed. And I, feel like, I feel like they were like, all right, we'll trade you. <laughs> Well, he lasted three more years after yeah. this, but uh, you can you can go into it. Well, he was, and I think he was at church. He's a he's a Christian. He's a yes. He's a, he's a very uh, religious person. Yeah, it was a team Bible study that okay um, was supposedly closed off to the media, but he had made some. Uh, Let's just say he made some comments where he was a DUI and calling a female officer sugar tits away from being Mel Gibson. Man, he was about to give us all a brave heart, but he, <laughs> he said something about Jews being stubborn. It is the quote is yes. Jews are stubborn. Tell me, why why didn't they why did they persecute Jesus unless he knew something they didn't want to accept? They had his. They have his blood on their hands. Yes, and then oh he, god, this is the worst part of when athletes don't understand why they're being extremely offensive, and then they almost double down on it. So, like the media was like, "Would yeah. you like to explain those?" And he was just like, "I was just meaning like the Jews are stubborn when I try to get them to transition to tr- Christianity." And it's like, wait, what? The and, worst part was when he said. I have, I have a, a Jewish, Jewish friend. friend. <laughs> His name is Jesus Christ. Like, and you play in New York. Yeah, so that's what makes Ooh. me think of the eastbound yeah. and down where <laughs> he pretty much just says the most ridiculous stuff. But you could see how, I guess, oblivious to the people being offensive he was. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty ridiculous. But if that's the worst thing that he did, yeah. I, I got it because we go through some guys and they do some awful stuff. And if that's the worst, I got to give it up to Charlie Ward. They do some repugnant shit. Yeah. And he apologized. And I'm sure he was like, yeah, that probably wasn't a good idea. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, he was, uh, uh, he finished out his career, um, great college basketball player in uh, 2011. He got the uh, Keys to Life Award um, at the Final Four. It's the, uh, one of the John Wooden Awards for his uh, excellence uh, and integrity on and off the court. He, he had a ton of work in different foundations, different yeah. you know, stuff. So, like, if anything, I know we brought up the, the Jew comments, but if anything, we should be bringing up the great stuff he does off the court because he really has done a ton of stuff and, and is a great uh, family man. So, like, really got to give it up to Charlie Ward. With I love the fact that he's the only Heisman trophy winner to start in the nba yeah and not start but play well yeah but uh you know post career um he has three kids so he's done a lot of coaching um he's a high school coach um for football i didn't know that yeah and he um uh i believe still heads florida states um uh kind of like feeder high school oh, uh, okay. he's coaching there i mean he's still involved with the game um you know probably passing down all the knowledge that he gained um definitely works with kids and things like that he has three kids so um yeah he's stayed around football 
and stayed around sports and credit to him for doing that. He's just such an interesting figure that almost is now forgotten. Yeah. And unless you're talking about not FSU's 93 national championship team, his name doesn't come up a lot in football. No. I mean, and it's sad because if he had come out today, he's a top five pick. Yeah, there's no doubt that a team wouldn't even consider that rolling the dice. No. You know what I mean? They would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to develop him into what we want. This is our guy. This is a guy that fits. This is a guy who's doing what we're doing now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, kudos to you, Charlie Ward. This is a really fun research topic. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, everybody. This is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel, the Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.